Welcome to the Athlete Hands-On Podcast. This is Richard Alm. I am particularly excited about this week's discussion uh, that I had with James Fitzgerald. James Fitzgerald is a really a pioneer of the fitness industry. He first started back in 1999 uh, with OPT, which is a optimal performance training out of Canada. Uh, he then was was intimately involved with, I think, a lot of the the growth of the CrossFit movement and the science behind it and the thinking behind the Metcon. Uh, and was actually the first CrossFit Games champion in 2007. He has since gone on to start his own company called uh, OPEX. And OPEX is a phenomenal education platform for personal trainers that's really a comprehensive education um, for that for, for those in that industry. And it's, it's something you guys should really, really dig into. But James is, uh, is, is quite a, has quite a mind. And he's what I love about James is that he's very big picture. So he, he doesn't get... Even though he can get into the nitty-gritty detail, he can dig into the weeds. He, he has a natural proclivity to just think big and philosophical. And so this conversation, we're able to actually you know, talk a lot about those big pictures. Um, we're able to talk about uh, this massive change in perspective that he's had. You know, He was an elite soccer player in Canada. He was then, of course, one of the better crossfitters in the world and, and trained uh, in, in what he would call mixed modal uh, for, for 12 years. And he's now since shifted his, his focus um, violently, if you will, into what he calls the vitality model. And there's a lot of great discussion in there about the vitality model in there. Um, we get into a lot of uh, just digging into intentions behind exercise. We, we criticize the industry a little bit. Um, and then we, we get into uh, really a couple disagreements, which I, I really enjoyed being able to have a conversation with someone, disagree with them, and yet still sustain a conversation, which I think in today's day and age is a little bit rare. So really, really great conversation. Humongous thanks to James um, and the OPEX team for for letting me come in, uh, use their facility. So I, I hope you guys really enjoy this conversation. And without further ado, I bring you James Fitzgerald. Thanks for coming on. So I, uh, we just talked about. Thanks for being here. Yeah, in in OPEX, I was expecting a, a nice little fancy logo. Uh, what I'll do, I'll there. superimpose the logo on on there, so it's a watermark it on it, so it looks nice. Emma will be happy. Um, but you were on my short list of people that I wanted to bring on the podcast as just a thought leader in this area. Well, thank you. I know you've been. Thanks for considering me. Yeah, it's just I've had some good conversations with you and enjoyed having you. Well, the first time we met, that was mild, mildly. Uh, was it Exos? It was Exos, but here's so, so I've been I've been following your. What's rehab perform? Wasn't yeah, it? R2P, yeah R2P? Yeah, rehab to performance. Uh, so I had done. My talk was on pathomechanic to shoulder injuries in CrossFit. Yeah. Okay. And so I had been following you for years, even was familiar with OPT stuff, which is what you had. I think it was Vancouver. Uh, uh, Calgary. Or Calgary, sorry. Calgary, mm-hmm. up in Calgary. And so I had really liked the content that you were putting out and, and you sort of pulled into this space, like the anaerobic, aerobic, lifting, mixed modal kind of thing mm-hmm. that no one else was really doing which has now been turned into OPEX. But I had been a big fan for a while, and so then I prepared this, this talk. And, and the R2P crowd is, is mostly physicians that are also interested in, in, in working with athletes and fitnessing and that kind of stuff. Well, for me, 
I'm doing this talk, and even though I was confident that the, the content was there and I had done my research and all that kind of stuff, it was just a little bit different. A picture came up, and I put a picture up, and someone identified you in the background, and I was like, oh, shit. I was like, a guy that really knows this stuff is sitting in the crowd, and you're, of course, nice and humble, or you know, and, and we're, <clears throat> we're good about it, but like, I, for a second, I was like, okay, wait. No, I think I stand by what I said. So yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. it was just a little bit different. You know, if you're teaching about Olympic weightlifting and yeah. Peros Dimas, you find out it's in the crowd. It's just slightly different yeah, thought sure. process. Well, we were probably saying, I think we agreed upon a lot of things. It was just just not a lot of people were having conversations on those, those kind of things. Um, no, so, the utility of those movements. So it was helpful for the people, for a lot of the practitioners, you know, because they got to, they're going to get a whole bunch of people who come in and uh, they need to know you know, from your lens, which you clearly demonstrated that says, you know, this is probably what you're going to see, but it's important that you know how they got here. Yeah. And that's what you, what you went after with the mechanics around the, the vectors and the, the loading and et cetera around the scapula and the humerus. I think that's really good. Well, it was, I mean, just to, to tease this out a little bit, it, it's you, you oftentimes are willing to sort of stand up for, for what you believe. And a lot of times that goes against the industry will, for me, telling an athlete, unless you're making money doing CrossFit, yeah. you should not be doing butterfly kipping pull-ups. I mean, there's just no, there's no scenario. You know, I'm actually somebody. Well, there's, there's a, if, if I may, yeah. there's an addition to that, um, that you don't necessarily have to be making money, but I generally land on, you have to be capable of expressing it consistently. So I think that's what dictates if you should be doing them or not. So people are, I think they're less, I think it's less about them having incorrect intentions, thinking they're going to make money from it. But I just think a lot of people can't actually do it. Very. That's, that's where I think the needs more of a longer conversation because I don't think enough people are uh, intelligent enough to understand the conversation of expression. Well, they let's, think, let's dig into that, that right now. So they now. think that if they think that by doing three or four of them, or even in a workout, or doing 60 on a workout that's posted... And they do, you know, 27 and then they do seven and now they're doing doubles. All of that, uh, including doing the open, all of that, they think that they're performing the skill. Right. So then and that's that's the and you can see that there's like this really gray area between, well, what's your definition of expression? You know? Well, that's what I want to, t- and, that's what I want to dig and into. My definition bit. of expression is one in which you could express the skill under the metabolic con- confinement that it's in, and you, then you can repeat it. So repeatability. Repeatability and sustainability of said skill. Now, yeah. it's, it's a possibility, and you may have just looked at the open. We can, we can use the little, you can even look at data this. Not of people are willing to look at as much of the data, but you know, we could make this statement as an example if you're not aware of the current uh, last open workout that just went. It was, um, you know, a front squat and then toes to bar and then thrusters. And then you had a little tiny breather. And a complex. And then it was front squat, uh, chest to bar, and oh, then right. thruster, a little breather. And then it was front squat, bar muscle up, thruster. And then now you had to do a, a hard contraction, right, with a complex. <clears throat> so you could say that the only people that really expressed the upper body pulling activities, just as a point of, like, reference for thinking are the ones that did 30 chest to bar right. in a row. Okay. So immediately at that commentary, to your previous point, people stop thinking. All they hear is, you're such an asshole for saying that 
you think that people didn't express this because they couldn't do 30 in a row. I don't care whatsoever around feelings that you have around you not being able to do. It doesn't change whether they are or not ready. It doesn't change the fact if you can express it or you can't, right? And so, and that's all, that doesn't mean that there's anything to my point in terms of like the, what I'm using as an example, but it makes people think about what I define as expression. So if you can do 30 in a row and you did 30 in a row, I would have a really strong argument that you sit in that group that you can express that skill. So going back to your point on kipping, right? Um, just because you can do four, I don't give a shit if you can do four. But if you can do 30 in a row under the highest metabolic constraint and then come back and do like another 15 in a row bar muscle ups like a minute, that's a pretty damn indication that you're capable of expressing that skill. Yeah, I almost, when, when just doing research for this, I felt like you use the term expression a lot and I feel like expression is staying within your capabilities. Is that, would you say that that's at least partially accurate? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, uh, and maybe giving Expressing a Expressing well in a workout would be staying within your capabilities. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, knowing exactly what your threshold is, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then just, just bumping up against it, you know, as much as needed based upon the task that's in front of you, right? And just like we all believe in practice. Flirting repeated, with, as you call it. Yeah, repeated practice of the flirt and the dance allows you to have this bigger, bigger buffer zone over time, right? Yeah, it's just principle, you know. Right, but I think that the we can we don't ask people, you know, we don't ask young soccer players in practice. We don't we don't put the grills to them every practice. Right, it's just common sense. You're just like, no, we don't do that. But in fitness, we're like, yeah, dude. Well, gymnastics, you're not applying yourself hard. Right, right. Just try harder. The in gymnastics movements, that's the one that's hilarious. You talk to anyone who's a skilled gymnast, and they're like, well, dude, I was working on hollows on on the floor for months or years, and you know, and I can just whistle through strict muscle ups before I ever try to kip. Yeah, because it's not it for them. Then it's not a. Let's go into the mechanics realm. It's not a. It's not a shoulder or grip activity, but for you and I, it is. Right. But why isn't it for them? Because they spent eight years yes. learning how to develop energy from here to the fingertips. Yeah. Right. So we see their proficiency in it as you know something that's just special. But we forget to say just a second now. They did this for five times a week. Yeah. For eight years. Yeah, for hours. <laughs> right. It's like the Malcolm Gladwell why ten thousand hour thing. Why right? are you questioning? You know that. And so to think that if you want to be as proficient as that. You can't just like throw some of those high-end skills inside of a metabolic system, right. fraction it, and then say you're expressing it. Right. Yeah. Or, or perform it with, with with terrible movement quality, like to stick with the. Well, sometimes it can be good quality, but it's all under the what's allowed. You know, what's allowable quality? Because you know, there, you could have toes to bar that we, you and I could argue day and night over being performed incorrectly, but uh, you'll lose capacity and you won't win. So. Well, it's almost like the the. the Perform, or um, expressing well in a workout almost has two components. It has a sustainability part where like you have to be able to actually sustain this and, and continue with it. Yeah. But then there's also the movement quality aspect of it. And maybe you would argue that if you can get 30 reps, but the quality drops off considerably, they're not expressing well. In the, even though they can, yeah. they have the metabolic capacity to do 30 sure. bar muscle ups. If after 15, they're just shit and they're just bouncing on their shoulder capsule yeah. at the bottom, that's yeah. not expressing well. Yeah. So there's a quality, is there a quality of movement well, that, to it? Yes. Yeah. Part and parcel. I guess it becomes context of the movements we're speaking about, but the ones we're speaking about, yeah, by all means, because even if they, let's say they're, I'll call them 20 out of the 30 were controlled and the last 10 were just flopping. 
yeah, that's an example. Although they did complete 30 in a row, they didn't do it in the confines of what's considered repetitive actions, right? So the first 20 looked repeatable, like those could go on and on forever, even after yeah. a short break. But your last 10, you're barely just hanging on. Yeah, so that's you an can, example. Yeah, that's, that's an example, example, right? Which is hard to measure. I mean, I guess we could measure based upon force and speed of angle and you get your uh, unbelievable cameras out and you can see, you know, that scapula difference in the back, you know, at the yeah. bottom. You could see that, which is the, you know, the hanging versus the action, action that hang, happens of it. Hang. So I think you could see that, but it's, it's tough to measure, you know, um, and that's why, you know, um, anyways, yeah. So people, you can see why it gets all confusing, right? It, was it expressed? Well, I did 30 in a row, coach. You know, and you're like, geez, I don't know. But from my thousands of hours of experience, I could tell your last 10 weren't in control. <laughs> I, could, you I, know? Could, I could hear your shoulder capsule ripping on your last 10. Yeah. <laughs> but, you I mean, now now we have to take into consideration we're thinking that every athlete is going to understand what we mean by that, right, in the last 10. And, again, most times people just stop when you say you didn't express it. They just get hurt, right? right. So emo emotion comes in. It's like... Uh, <laughs> I don't care. I'm just telling you, you didn't express it. So instead, let's go back to the drawing board and let's work on skills that allows you to get to the point where you can express this. But that's where I think... So this is all circling back to your point of saying, you know, people are not expressing it. Um, and I don't think uh, everyone has earned the right to be able to express it. And I, I think that that's the hard pill to swallow that you have, you've really kind of... Um, your conviction for this is sort of unrivaled. And it's just like you're just being honest blunt even that you're like no you're not physically ready to do that like you, your body's tissues have not adapted long enough mm. to be able to handle doing said movement whether yeah. it's you know a heavy clean and jerk or whether it's 30 bar muscles it doesn't matter and that is just a reality of physiology yeah. I and mean, there's no there, there's literally no way to argue it yeah and somebody like you who came up you know in elite canadian soccer you had done many, many hours of on-field training. Maybe you did some some fitnessing, lifting kind of things. But you know, when you got into mixed modal stuff early on, you know, with the the dot com era or whatever, like the the true OGs of the of the sport, you kind of already had like done this. Yeah. You know, and and, and I have somewhat of the same experience where. You know, I had done, you know, elite level track and field and Olympic weightlifting and all that kind of stuff for years. So when I came in and I'm doing work and the workout says X and I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to do this. That's just me saying, like, I can't express that. Like, I, I can't physically do that workout. But that that barrier is, is something that you have to learn over time. Yeah. And I think a lot of the athletes that are getting into this mixed modal stuff, the, the, the fitness um, competitions early on. They have no idea. Yeah. Like they just don't know where that line is. So when you're when you're writing programs for everyone and no one, which is typically what's happening in a lot of these gyms, you just go in and the workout is what the workout is. Mm. So like take a, a workout like Isabel. Yeah. I've seen people try Isabel or the open when they had, I think it was um 11-1 or 12-1, no, 11-2, doesn't yeah. matter. One of the Ascending load and snatches yeah. with burpees. I'm watching this dude who has a PR of 140 in the snatch mm -hmm. for seven minutes or whatever it was, just like a fail after fail after fail trying to do this, whereas yeah. it should have been. And, I, and I'm a big proponent of saying, like, okay, we're going to do this workout at 65% of your one rep max. 
So for some people, that's 185. Mm-hmm. For other people, that's going to be 85 pounds. Mm-hmm. And that's that's just the max. So now we're we're making the, the load relative to that actual athlete so they can express... 30 snatches, we can argue, not argue, we can discuss the yeah. utility of yeah. doing that. Yeah. But let's say it's whatever workout it is. Let's say it's just going to be six deadlifts, yeah. right? And if you've got someone that's at 315, their PR is 330, whereas, you know, the let's say a, a Dan Bailey's doing a Diane, he can pull a whole lot more than 315. Mm-hmm. If you said, okay, that's actually, Dan can probably pull closer to, to, to 500 pounds, so we're just going to make this workout is going to be 60% of your one rep max. Mm-hmm. Now it's going to be easier to fit within the time domain. And that's where I think a, a lot of people get messed up. They'll go into this workout like like Fran, you know, 21, 15, 9 thrusters and, and uh, pull-ups. And the workout takes them 14 minutes. Mm-hmm. Well, the workout's not designed, like, that's not yeah. really the intent there. Yeah. Um, so, wh- I mean, what do you think about that with the percentages and figuring that out? Do you think uh, that that's an easier way to get someone to express well? No. Okay. No. Why, yeah. well, how so? Why not? Because uh, it's a hijacked conversation. It's, high, it's a hijacked lower order prescription that comes from CrossFit. Do you mean the, the like giving someone a percentage scaling. instead of just a standard? That's what you're doing. You're scaling. Well, but let's say with any work, let's not use one of the the classic workouts. I just mean any workout. You write a workout and you're going to do you know nine deadlifts, you know six toes to bar, twenty double unders, whatever. Yeah. And instead of saying like, okay, guys, the guys are doing two twenty five, the girls are doing one thirty five, go. Yeah. We would then program it as nope, the guys are going to do sixty five percent, the women are going to do sixty five percent. How do you yeah. like that kind of model? I still don't like it because it's templating. It's still CrossFitology, okay. which is you're taking a, a specific kind of a workout and you're trying to you're trying to make it individualized for twenty people. What if you then? So it's lower order. What if you were writing workouts? Like, you're for not me. taking into consideration individual experience. Yep. So there's just way too much context to individual prescriptions under that for me to even spend time on discussing the utility of. The concepts in which you're so you wouldn't to bring you wouldn't up. need to think about in terms of okay everyone's doing sixty five percent because if you were writing programs for me you would have written the load at whatever percentage you thought I could actually express if you had decided that whatever this workout is is appropriate for me yeah so there's no you don't even it we, got, we don't even so get into the discussion back. no yeah. it gets so far back and that's why I'm like I'm just short on my answer because I'm not I don't play in the weeds anymore with that it's not quite I your style I don't think. No, no, but it's it's just it's just exhausting to me. I'll be completely honest. It's no, exhausting I'm... for me to um, to do it. So instead, what do I do? I say you should go back to individualization. Um, and so, if you want to get into a conversation on what's the best way to scale, um, or you know, well, scaling take, is take really this a... workout, but take this workout and put it across the board for the most people to get the correct dose response. My answer is that you have to individualize it for everyone. And every single one of those people need to have a 90-minute conversation with a coach without loading or at a capacity that says, why are we doing any of this? Yep. And if none, none of that is based upon intentions, you know, we can spend 30 years like we have been coming up with creative ways to like do workouts. Yes. And in the end, I'm, all I'm saying is that I, I'm, I'm not into that conversation anymore. That's no, just, and it's I, just and futile in my opinion. Well, yeah, one of the things early on, even with the OPT stuff or, of course, with the OPEC stuff that I've always liked is you, I, I say you have to program with purpose. You, I think yeah. you say you have to have you know proper intentions behind your programming. Yeah. 
So, you know, in getting ready for this, there, there, to me, there's seven factors that influence writing a program. Some of them are easy to catch. Some of them you're going to use more consistently. But I want to just run through these and see what you think. Mm -hmm. um, the first one's going to be the needs, desires, expectations, goals, or as you might call it, the intentions. This is the why are you training? Yeah. So that's a tough question that a lot of people, they're not going to want to go into that because... It can't be as like, well, I just want to get good at, 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 at Olympic weightlifting or whatever the case may be. You can really dig into that. Are they, are they punishing themselves for something? Are they yeah. making up for a, a limited career? Are they trying to, you know, prove something? I mean, there, there's lots of things that you can dig into that. And even though that's a weird place to start for a lot of coaches, that's kind of where you need to start if you really want to get the ultimate goal of, of just making somebody healthier, right? Or, yeah. or like moving towards vitality, as you might say. Mm -hmm. Um, the other one, next one would be health habits. So sleep, nutrition, stress management, recovery, and all that kind of stuff. You can tease that out. Mm -hmm. This gets into a little bit more of the nuts and bolts of how you might actually write programs. You have what I call external demands. So you have sport requirements and life demands. Sport mm -hmm. requirements are like, well, what the fuck are you training for? Right. You know, are you, or if you're training to be a middle um, distance runner, if you're training to be a goalkeeper in soccer, that's that's different. Or alignment is different than a wide receiver. Yeah. Um, so that's the the sport requirements or the performance requirements are going to tell you. All right, here's what we need to be doing. Yeah. The life demands I never really thought of when I was an athlete. So I've I've had uh, pretty good back injuries. Well, something like sitting for eight hours a day, or you know, I had to study a lot. That actually is a load that impacts your total um, training load. Yeah. So thinking about those things, um, then you've got internal capabilities of the, of the human or the, the athlete, right? So that's functional competence. That's I think what you guys would call move in, in CCP, where you're just doing functional assessment to see, do they have the functional prerequisites to execute whatever movements they need to? Yeah. Then you've got your performance competence, which is going to be what you guys would call work. Yeah. So that might be 10 minutes max cows on the bike. That might be vertical jump. I mean, whatever. That needs to be specific to the, the sport requirements. Psychological competence, training age, previous injuries. Those are all internal capabilities. Mm -hmm. Then we go over to technical efficiency, and that's really even if the athlete has the capability to move well, it doesn't mean that they will move well. Mm -hmm. If you've got, let's say, perfect, you know, amazing dorsiflexion, amazing hip mobility, stability, all that crap, but then you're told to do something poorly with an Olympic lift, like sit back on your heels and crank your chest up, mm -hmm. even though you can perform it well, it doesn't mean that you will. So we have to be kind of assessing that. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have time constraints is another one. So do they have a job? Like I have some athletes I work with that they're lucky enough that they don't need to work. Mm -hmm. They have no time constraints. Two-a-days are an amazing. The strongest I ever got was when I was doing small volume two-a-days. Mm -hmm. Well, if you work eight hours a day, you, you can't really do that. Yeah. You know, what does that job entail? Is it, is it long, long hours? Or are you traveling a ton? So that's another one. And then the, the last one, and this is I'd really like to dig into this with you, is the response to training. And, and, and this one, you, this, you learn over time, and the more that you're with that athlete, the more that you're, you're dialing in on what, how they're responding to the training, the more appropriately you can get the, the dose, mm -hmm. right? So to me, you have the prescription and the dose. The prescription is the, is the movements that you're giving them, mm -hmm. whether it's a back squat or whether it's you know, running or whatever. And then the dose is what's, what's the load that I call it training load, which mm -hmm. is basically volume times intensity divided by time. Yeah. You know, um, so that th those seven factors 
are, are what I think about if I'm going to, okay, I got to write a, I got to write a program for James. What is he training for? What is, what is the goal? What are his needs, desires, intentions? And then you can kind of run around this whole wheel here. Is there anything else that you would add to that in terms of, um, writing proper programs so that the athlete can express better, you know, in their, in their training, their fitnessing, their moving, their exercising, whatever. No, I think, uh, I think a lot of it's covered in there. Um, the, the one I'd really love to chat about, because when we're talking about programming, right, the CCP and OPEX and, and you and OPT, you've always um, really tried to individualize the program. Mm-hmm. So when you're, you know, whether you're at a, a division one, you know, university in the weight room and they've got, okay, here's the football program. Maybe they've got a lineman program. Um, but in general, people are just writing these programs that's kind of for everyone and no one like okay they're thinking about the sport okay these guys need to be stronger these guys need to be faster or these guys need to have better in muscle endurance whatever the case may be yeah. and they just sort of write them out and there's not a lot of individualized tailoring them down i wholeheartedly agree that if you want an athlete to progress you know uh, maximum physical capacity is what you might say or vitality it doesn't matter whatever their their goals are if you want them to actually get there in a way that's not going to get them injured or whatever, or they're gonna be able to do this for long periods of time, you have to have precision and individualization. Yeah. And the two things, you know, the, we just did the seven major components, but the two major things that I want to talk about are movement selection and how they're handling training. Mm-hmm. Right. Would you, would you agree that those are probably on the day to day program to program example? Those are the two things that you're constantly factoring to get the, the proper dose and prescription. Uh, yeah, yeah. So movement selection and what? The other one is their response to training. Yeah. Um, are they expressing well, basically? Yeah, probably. no, those are, those are two probably of a number of things, but, um, it definitely goes, I'm not sure where, I'm not sure if there was a question in there, but, uh, the intentions are, is what's most important. And, um, there's currently to today, there's not a lot of institutions that are promoting, uh, critical thinking and also the. Um, strengthening the competencies of the coach to deliver, um, you know, conversation around intentions. So to sort of back way up before we get to any of those things, which I don't mind discussing as well as to how we go about like teaching coaches to kind of think about these things for day to day. But so currently to today you have a a huge market. This is a generalized statement, but you have a huge market that uh, wants to do whatever is trendy or whatever they want to do. Um, and they have every right to make that comment to a coach. Um, so they want to do something and they believe that's the way that they need to go about doing it in order to get to the goals they think they're capable of achieving. So if you have that market coming into a coach, you know, a coach is going to fall prey to whatever the client wants because there's, there's not a ton of work to go around today, especially with the online adher- you know, online adherence and, uh, and what fitness education delivery is today. Um, so the coach is, is stuck, right? The coach is there and this is their lens. They don't have any institutions that are willing to like support them, like wrap their arms around them and, and be like, yeah, I agree too. You know? Right, right, right. Uh, there's not that. Um, the 98% of the entire market that comes to them willing to pay are saying, but I want to do this. And I think I'm going. I want to achieve this. And if you don't think that I'm going to get there, and you strike me with truths, I'll just go down the street. 
So this is a true. This is a truth, right? In uh, a fact, in terms of business delivery and trying to trying to educate people. And so, what are you left with, right? You're left with a few coaches, you know, speaking on podcasts or just talking. Lucky enough to be around with people with good intentions, and uh, and the rest are are out there really just uh, dancing, is what I like to say. And you're not really so. To your point, what's important on program design? Um, I think it comes down to intentions. Um, That's the starting point. And when for you sure. get when you get all that in place, in my opinion, yeah, then you just basically meaning. And this is important. It's like, so what do you mean by that? It means that the client is there for the right reasons, right? Now we could go on for hours, like we've been doing with the Fitness and Philosophy podcast, to discuss like. Well, what is the ethics and morality around fitness, which is a really long, healthy conversation and debate. Um, but I think what's right for people is uh, them participating in physical challenges that are going to upgrade their lives, um, but is showing signs of coming true that they can do this for the rest of their life. Right. So, so then you can say, so what should the program be? It's pretty easy if that's the intentions. Because the program to itself, to your point, movement selection, whatever, it'll all reverse engineer its way back to punch you in the face and say, I don't think this is going to be sustainable well, for but the that, next 40 years. Well, but that's the, and the... But we can't stop at that point where people are like, but I don't care about the 40-year program. Right. And to, again, this is where I exit the conversation. I don't want to talk to people if they don't want to discuss the 40-year plan because all you're doing is dancing around these fancy, sexy versions of fitness delivery and creativity, and you're getting nowhere. So I'm over here helping others who truly are want to be aligned with a long-term program because they have correct intentions. Do you see it as your role as as a coach or or like a CCP coach to just pull the ripcord if they're not into it or to try to show them the value and the utility of, of, of having the vitality model where you're trying to actually improve the quality and the length of your life. And yeah. thinking about that 10,000, you guys put up an Instagram post, uh, I think last week on the OPEX uh, fitness page that said, you know, have a 10,000 workout mindset. Mm-hmm. You know, do you think it's your job or responsibility to somewhat kind of say, hey, look, let's dig into this why here a little bit and your intentions behind working out. And I, I kind of really think that this is more what you're looking for because if they can, if you can turn the battleship and then they can see the value and, and somehow get the, the James Fitzgerald conviction for that, well, now, boom, now you have the motivation. So that now their, their yeah. intentions align with you. Do you see that as, as your responsibility or just kind of like either they get yeah. it or they don't? No, for sure. Um, for, well, people, when they sign up, they pay a good amount of money for my education. So that needs to be said because that is showing their proper intentions, right? So they're not in it to, you know, to just get that, the holy water, let's say. They're in it to, like, be challenged, right? But yeah, it's not hard to sway those minds already, if that makes sense, right? Yeah. They're, they're already in. They're like, listen, I'm willing to like discuss the hard stuff. But so, so I guess, yeah, they're. I'm, I'm not really, I'm not really uh, saying anything in. Uh, yeah, let's say it this way. I'm not trying to rewire brains anymore that I used to have to. So I used to be met with a whole ton of people who knew there was something inside of the education. And I, they'd sit in front of me, and after a couple hours, they'd be like, I can't, I can't do that. 
I can't leave here and do that, right? I can't unsee or unhear what you just laid on me for truths, right? And it's really painful for people. You can see their world coming down in front of them, right? Um, and I didn't, I honestly, you know, I have a little bit of regret for that, but it's the way it is. I didn't know over time how to help those people, right? They're out now, they're out and they're like just trying to figure it out. Right. But to today, most who land in front of me and we get together and have conversations on that, they definitely don't need to be rewired. These individuals are already... Yeah, they know, like, you, they know your They don't approach. need to be motivated, right? Yep. They're, they're like, I just, I know there's something there. And, um, you know, and I, I want to I wanna like struggle with this so that when I go out into the real world, I can discuss with people properly around intentions and correct kind of uh, prescription of movement and... That ends up getting, I think the intention thing gets pretty complex and pretty challenging because there's a lot of people, it does. my, my thought is that you've got, you know, you're, you're, you're going, like you're just going into the gym or whatever and you're going, or you're checking email, you're at work or whatever. And there are these invisible strings that are, that are affecting your, your mood and your disposition towards whatever you're doing. And if you don't, if you're not very, very, you know, mindful to use a cheesy term, about that you're not aware of that like self-aware you don't even know like you think well i'm just going and doing this this thing in the gym because i want to get better at x whereas if you keep digging into the y mm -hmm. you can really find the actual intentions yeah and and that digging down there i think is is valuable and challenging at the same time especially yeah. for just a coach someone walks in the door and their expectation is well i'm just going to show up and they're just going to beat me up and I'm just going to you know, yeah. sweat a bunch and then go home. And you're like, well, let's pump the brakes here. Mm -hmm. If we're going to do this well, you know, if you're going to program well, you, you know what the finish line is. Yeah. And the, the intentions of the athlete or the, the client, that's the finish line. Yeah. Right? And then yeah. you have to, as you just said before, you have to reverse engineer. You have to work backwards. Yeah. So if their goal is to you know, be, you know, be able to wipe their own ass when they're 90 years old. And yeah, <laughs> I think you said on your podcast, just hike up a hill and fall off a cliff and be done. Right. Yeah. I just the sex in the morning, sex in the morning. Yeah. Sex in the morning, hike up a hill and fall off a cliff. Yeah. Then that's going to allow them to, to see the value of your approach. Mm -hmm. Your approach is not, all right, I'm going to go in there and we're just going to be throttling yeah. you from day one. Yeah. And they need to see, I mean, I have to do this with, with, with clients or patients of mine. If they come in a lot of times, I'm not just, cracking their back if they have it. I might be working on their feet and they're like, why the fuck are you working on my feet? Or if they have plantar fasciitis, why are you treating my back? Mm -hmm. If I don't step back and say, hey, here's the big picture of what we're doing, mm -hmm. then they don't get it. And if they don't get it, they don't have buy-in. If they don't have buy-in, they don't do their home exercises. And mm -hmm. if they're not doing their home exercises, everything goes slower, then they just disappear. And then yeah. a couple years later, they still have it. Yeah. Do you have the same kind of an issue with your clients and trying to dig into that sort of thing? Yeah, I did. And then as I gained experience over time, it it kind of, it kind of, you know, just became a whole lot better when I created my own system to ensure guardrails on communication and conversation. Um, again, that's why I said there's not there, the institutions and, and and systems out there are not built from the ground up to support coaches having conversations, right? So, uh, th and this is what people, you know, they're like, so so tell me what you mean. So a coach needs to have. Uh, a 90-minute consult per month. With, this is just examples, okay? This doesn't mean this, this is our system, though. 90-minute consult per month, which is like this, okay? No exercising. You don't touch anything. It's conversation, right? Communication, intake, feedback, the full thing. Um, you get to see this person in practice 
in your gym on the floor five, six, seven days a week. Okay, so you see them for like a couple minutes here and there, watching them move, watching them struggle, watching them challenge. Hi, hello, fist bump. Oh, hey, how you doing? Community, like little back and forth, okay? No, no, knee here. Yep, exactly. That on the floor. And then there's a third component of um, technical delivery. So that's uh, through CoachRx or a communication platform that they watch videos. Yeah, good job. Checkbox, you know, emojis, etc. So there's <laughs> there's different levels, right? But but that's what I'm saying is that's the that's what I would argue and what I go down with. I'll go down swinging for the rest of my life with that. That that's the highest order version of a relationship. And there's no institutions or systems set up to allow that to happen. To your point, do you go global or 30,000 foot for the client? Yeah, because our system allows that to happen. Like it forces the coach and the client. Exactly. It forces the coach and the client to end up at that middle spot saying, you know, so you may, you may have, you're saying this to Janice who just walked in and now she wants to participate in fitness, right? You're saying, although you don't want to talk about it today, Every week for the next 50 weeks, I'm going to be asking you about your why. I'm not going to let you go, right, until we get to the real deep. And then we'll, then we'll get on with things, right? Like you may say you have a different why every week for 50 weeks, and I'm going to be here going, you know, I still love you. I appreciate the fact that you want to be open, but I'm still going to keep going because I know there's something deeper down. Now, the problem here, Richard, if you want to go there, is the, yes. is the unspoken thing of, you know, we don't have to move today. This is the this is the real and of course with that statement, again people just end in thinking right. Do you They're mean like, like oh, in a social session with subjective a realism? No, you know just think about it. We don't have to do and perform physical challenges today in order for us to reproduce, survive, oh. evolve, etc. Like and if you think really hard about that, we actually don't need to do it. Like we're in a massive cognitive revolution physically and it's showing signs that physically we're deteriorating at a massive scale um but it's really hard then if we agree upon that fact which i totally agree upon to manufacture a good uh will and intention and behaviors and habits with people that that are saying yeah okay so james you're saying that we don't really need to move right uh, but you want me to move but I don't, I don't really want to do that. And what you're saying is I also don't want to uh, – that I shouldn't be moving because my friends are doing it. Or I shouldn't be moving because I want to lose 30 pounds. I'm saying, yeah, you know, that, that shouldn't be your intentions. So you see the – It's really You hard. see the toughness, right? The, like humans, we're, we're, we're conscious enough now. We recognize, right? We're like fucking hard work is not easy. It's self-inflicted it's, pain. It, like why would you go through that – those challenges, Right. Um, with the connection to everyone today too, it's, it's embarrassing for a lot of people, right? So you can't really do much today without it being captured, right? Um, so if you do anything, no, but I'm just trying to think about people who are just trying to get started. On no, this I, concept I, I'm of laughing because like, like you can bring a, you can bring a camera basically. Like I could not work out in the gym, one of the gyms that I work out in without getting filmed every day. I mean, there's yeah, no way I can directly, do it. You know, so, so it's a, all I'm saying is it's, it's a tough challenge to get people, most individuals, bought into this idea of recognizing these two things, which I just put in simple terms and we can explain it in much more detail. But you should move because you can and because it's for you. 
So moving because you can speaks of capabilities, meaning I'm going to give you whatever you're capable of doing right now, and I'm going to give you something that's a challenge that's just slightly in front of that. Yep. That's connected to you doing this for 50 years, right? And the second one has be has to be based upon this still, I, I, call, I, call, I guess it's a, it's not a true belief yet, but maybe over time we'll get there, is that it's a constru- it's, it really is a social construction of us having to do physical challenges. And why should we do it in the end? Like, what's the deepest why for all of us? We should be doing it because it's for us. Well, sustainability, vitality. No, no? no that's the first part. That's yeah. because you can. You're capable oh, of doing it for okay. a long period of time. But the for you aspect means that you have to do it like be, where no one's watching, no one cares, and you know you're participating in it because in each of those physical challenges, you learn something better about yourself that makes you a better person. So that means why are you doing exercise? This is for me. This is my shit, right? Yeah, I think there's a... Mo- so that's, that's where the... That's the challenge is yeah. to get, how do you get most people to that, you know, um, and me and my people and my tribe and my business, we are willing to have the hard conversations in that area. Like, because we all recognize it's a fucking complete waste of time to get inside the system of chaos and think you're actually doing something that's contributive. Yeah, I mean, what, what I've noticed with, with people, and see if you agree with this, is that they basically go from one distraction to the next. So one yeah. distraction might be, I'm going to train for a marathon. Another distraction might be, I'm going to do CrossFit. Another distraction might be, I'm going to, I mean, just pick the, the fancy thing yeah. that, that they're doing. Diversion tactics. Yeah, diversion tactics. So, so somebody comes in, they find that, they saw it on Instagram, or they find that sexy or whatever, and then they do that for a little while, and then they just kind of move on to something else. What I think is really... I mean, both kind of profound and just simple with what you guys are doing. It's like, well, no, no, let's just step back and actually figure out what the fuck is going on here. And if we can sort of figure out their, their, the deepest meaning of why, then you're, you don't have to go by the distraction model. You can actually go by something that is the, the, the goals of which are perfectly congruent yeah. with your goals. Yeah. And that, you know, or they could go and do those things, but at least you're aware of why you're doing those things. Right. Yeah. Right. Your intentions. But a lot are not. No, I That's mean... That's it. So, and so th- this is a couple of issues with this. Number one, a shit ton of coaches are along for the ride on this, and they're fraudulent, and they're just propagating this entire movement, thinking, you know, virtue signaling, I'm helping my clients, you know? And they're not. They're basically just making the entire system... They're enabling. ...bitch slap fitness for a longer period of time. And now all these clients are thinking that, fitness, thinking fitness is the shits. Yeah. Like this is, this is what ends up happening after four years. You know, I show up to a party and I mention fitness and everyone fucking, uh, you know, and, and I'm, I shouldn't be like, you know, ah, oh, motherfuckers, like fitness is so much fun. I should go back and say, no, why do they feel that way? Why? We have fucked business. If we have fucked fitness for 20 years, we've treated it like we just treated it really improperly. What are what are some of the ways that we've done this? What you just said of diversion tactics of thinking that every little thing that jumps in, core training, functional methods, fucking high intensity interval training, whatever, all of that is a slap in the face of fitness, because it's all a, a marketed, commercialized, uh, uh, 
diversion tactic for people. It's just fucking, well, what's what's trendy? What's new? What's going to get you in the door? And yeah, I mean, when you get old enough, which is a whole other thing, like there's not a lot of me's around. I think it's because a lot of people who are in my position get exhausted. I really do think that's um, that's my the- theory on it, is that over time you just get exhausted and you can't like fight the good fight anymore. My point being is that I've been around so long, uh, close to 30 years now, I've seen like six iterations of core training, okay? I've seen six iterations of the uh, new age holistic practitioner who's encroaching on the fitness market saying around what core training is. I've seen six iterations of that, Richard, okay? All the same principles, the same idea, but a different media. You know, because 30 years ago, there wasn't, you know, Facebook or Instagram, you know? You had to go door to door selling that shit. You know, yeah, the doctor, the booklets, the rehabilitative exercise training with the uh, McKenzie's research being, you know, uh, downplayed and then the Sarman's stuff being up and then the fucking Australians fighting against the Americans and... Is like this was thirty. No, the, the, this was thirty years ago, dude. Yeah, Hodges, and then the, your. But your, let's take it back in time, right? And imagine if there was Instagram back then. Oh. Like, what would have been the front and center, right? There like, would have been fifty in because exactly. it would have so gone through like fifty. My times. whole point is that that's the you know I'm around long enough to see you know the iterations of that let's call it diversion tactics, and no one's willing to get at the base understanding of what I think is true. I could be false on this, but I'll. I'll play with it for a while and see if it comes out to be that way. Uh, fitness is a, a birthright, um, and uh, it's free, and it's very simple. And I think we make it really, really complex. And I think that's what uh, um, we'll eventually move towards is people's understanding that um, it's, it's very easy to just participate in exercise. And I think in the interim, there's just a lot of chaos and confusion getting in the way of, of a lot of humans realizing their physical potential. Yeah, you just you, you just brought up the the different iterations of of stability or core work, and that's kind of an area that I've been studying for years and years and years. Um, you had previously said that the, you know the athlete or the, the the client, if they're programmed properly, is they'll stabilize properly. Is that an understanding? Is that an accurate statement? I mean, do you think yeah, that there's the differences? There's differences in, in the yeah. quality of stability, or do you just think it's completely based on programming? Yeah, well, there's. Uh, I think we got to go back to the context of when I think we discussed it. I think it was probably it was after an, an immersion. Yeah, it was in OPEX, and uh, I think you came in as a guest lecturer for yeah. our coaches, right? And um, anyways, I can't remember the context, but I, I remember mentioning that you know, depending upon the external task that's in front of someone, they're they're going to be capable of doing it autonomically and involuntarily. They will get themselves prepared to put up with the task whatever way they need to. And my whole point of it was being that they will quote unquote stabilize, you know, brace, uh, develop a good center of mass, whatever. They'll do that relative to whatever they see the task is that they need to partake in. Okay. Now I think the way that you were saying and the reason why I brought up in context is that my question was, why would we want to train voluntarily to activate if if people will learn that with the correct kind of training scenarios as to how to brace no matter what with good design. So my whole point was saying my belief is that great program design 
allows people to do movements effectively with the right kind of loading and the right kind of strategies and right kind of visualization, et cetera. And it doesn't, it just doesn't look the same as what you were saying, which, and I, I kind of seeped in, I kind of seeped in probably unfairly, but it's just because, you know, you're not a, you're not a, you know, a classic, just a fitness coach came from a global gym. You, you're medic, medical and then, you know, you're inside of fitness. Um, I'm always really hesitant to promote the rehabilitative thinking around why people should exercise. What I mean by that, which is on top of this context, is that just because science figures out a way what pain is and what poor function and dysfunction is, the way you fix that is not the way that should be slapped on top of fitness and performance. And people largely think it is. Okay. Now, what I mean by that is that all the models and all the things that are built inside the pain model, or I call it the therapeutic model, is nothing like the same system of moving people to better function inside the vitality model. Because everything inside the vitality model doesn't presuppose that they're coming from a pain position, okay? Which is a complete different model, a complete different model. So what fitness coaches have always been sold is the fact that if you don't understand this pain model, you won't be able to help people move back into function effectively. And I vehemently disagree with that statement because in context, I think that if the correct program design is given without any pain, right? Because we're not dealing with people. Yeah, Sorry, that's coaches, not, that's, that's not our lane, right? Yep. Without, I think with correct program design, you actually create a stronger buffer system because you're making them involuntarily come up with bracing strategies that improve their resilience. But where I, we get lost in the weeds is a stupid coach and a fucked up training program. And now all of a sudden you have a, a person who's in pain and you're like, ha, ah, see, see, you did thruster, you did too many of them with whatever position you were doing. And I'm like, yeah, but that's just bad program design. Right. This is the context, right? So I think it's fixed with better program design and not only the underpinnings of a rehabilitative therapeutic like model. a superimposed you know band-aid on top of the issue i, I hold well i don't consider all therapeutic stuffs a band-aid i just i consider it just a an incorrect thinking for the vitality model yeah i, I mean i wholeheartedly agree with you that that the the specificity and in individualized programming for vitality is absolutely a huge factor i guess where i would disagree and i i've been doing this clinically for 10 years is I do not think that every everyone that walks in the door, high performer or just normal human that's just trying to, you know, be able to climb mountains when they're 90, I do not think that even given the proper load that they will stabilize in a way that is the most efficient way. And efficiency of stabilization, efficiency of movement absolutely blends with your vitality model. The more efficiently an athlete can move, the less load on the tissue, the less load on the tissue, the longer they yeah. can sustain those movements. Okay. And that's that's really only where you We're know, disagreeing there. Yeah. That's a good disagreement to have. I don't call them athletes, because that presupposes you have incorrect intentions. And then secondly, my argument would be, and I'm interested in your retort, is that that's bad program design. So I think that if people can't create the right kind of, because you said a lot, you said a lot of people come in who can't activate. 
They just don't stabilize they, as efficiently as, as possible. As efficiently as who determines what is efficient stabilization? There's no objective measure to do that, and that is a problem with the approach. So, so I got it. You know, for me, I'm heavily influenced by a guy named Pavel Kolaj, um, who's a, a, a therapist out of the Czech Republic. Um, and a lot of his model is based on developmental kinesiology, which is a fancy word for um, ch a child learning how to go from basically... It's a therapeutic model. It is, but it's also... DNS is also just an explanation of movement and function, um, the likes of which I've never seen anywhere on the planet. So when we're talking... But it always existed. That's the... It's not... It's nothing new than what I said, the sixth iteration of the core control program it's, being sold. It's actually quite different than Paul Hodges. I would disagree. Okay, well, Paul Hodges is talking about concentrically contracting the transverse abdominis. Yeah. Pavel Kolaj is talking about stabilization via intra-abdominal pressure. Yeah. It's not, it's, 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 it's literally the exact opposite of what Paul We're getting in the weeds of the feedback, efferent, efferent communication between what's happening. And I'm just saying it happens. Well, what just, I guess what I would say to you clinically is it doesn't happen the same way. So I can... Oh, true, true. Yeah, but with, with voluntary ideas and strategies. No, no, no. If I'm you just put that, somebody under a barbell, they're going to... You're saying when someone lifted their leg up in 1992, it's different than when they do it in 2021 because someone different is teaching a new strategy for no, concentric versus... No, what, what I'm saying is if you took five athletes, ten athletes... And you had them all get under a barbell. These are athletes or humans? Sorry, I say athletes, but humans, clients, whatever, whatever the appropriate humans. term. Humans. You put 10 humans underneath a barbell and you have them stand up with their body weight. Or let's say they just stand up with their one repetition, but whatever you want to do. The same relative load to each person. You will see differences in the way in which they stabilize for that movement. Some of those are going to be more efficient. And by efficient, I mean they're going to utilize or, or involve more of the muscles available to stabilize the spine against that load. Other ones, they're going to maybe only use their erector spinae and some of their bigger muscles. So by loading a, a limited amount of muscles more, you're actually asking more of that tissue and they have to work much harder to stabilize. So over time, you have more compressive loads, more shear forces going through the body. So they can't actually sustain that for as long a period of time. And we know this because stabilizing with the, you know, an overactive posterior chain turns into higher risks of disc injuries, facet problems. And then later on, if you keep going 50 years later, your prize is, is uh, neural stenosis. So that's I guess right. that's where I disagree. I do wholeheartedly, I don't want to get lost in the weeds here with like, oh, well, this one says this and this one says that. Programming is a massive component of this. And if you constantly are putting people in an environment, I call it their functional capacity, where they're beyond their, their capacity to move well or express well, then they will default into a compensatory stabilizing strategy. So the programming is a huge piece here. I guess where we disagree is that I don't think that even with perfect programming, you're going to get the most efficient stabilizing strategy. And I can dig into why if you want, or yeah, I can let, let you answer. Yeah. No, let's do it. I just want to clarify what I heard there is that I still didn't get... Uh, I guess a, a comprehension of you saying that it's extremely different today than what it was in 1992, and I, I didn't hear a, a clear. The explanation is different, but the phenomenon is not different. I mean, okay, no, no one, no one's okay, changing. Great. If you lift your leg up in 19, yeah, I was going to say just because same. Pavel said something different, that doesn't make it 
make it different. This Correct. is this is all that, but that is a strength for good program design. Okay, that's still a good strength for program design because no matter what you call it, whatever you call core training in 15 years, you're still going to have the same six humans yes. show up. Yep. But we'll we'll think this is how fucked up it'll be in the future. We'll now have 18 different versions of stabilization <laughs> strategies, right? And in the end, what my point is is that without any pain, this is important, right? That's why I called them humans. Without any pain present, a good program design, and if people don't just think it's not people don't think it's not just writing in Coach RX, right? Program design is communication and intentions and voice and and cueing, right? And loading strategies, right? So if I take into consideration that out of all six of those people, they've never done a loaded barbell squat, well then what will I be doing, you know, for them in, in order to create the best activation? I'm doing motor control, right? I'm not even considering the loading parameters. So back to your point on the, you know, activation, my belief is that it's program design that dictates great kind of activation, meaning you gotta give the right kind of a dose effect that's necessary based upon what they can what they can do and all i'm saying is that i don't think it needs to be met with this what i would call fancier deeper complex terms um, of like what's exactly happening there and i think that's where we're we're not seeing and it makes sense oh, because no, i agree, I'm I agree with you i agree with you that part and you see the deeper underpinnings of the of the physiology of it well it ends up being an unproductive amount of detail yeah but i think we're i think we're you know, this is where I would say, if I could offer an olive branch for, you know, what what's not in my lane and what I would not have, like, I don't stand confident in saying is that if you had six, peop six humans with pain and no training age doing barbell back squats, then yeah, I would then say, I would offer the best that I would do for program design to help those people, but I don't understand the complexities of pain back to function because yeah. that's not my jam. I don't do that day to day, right? And so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna jump over there and presuppose that you know my method is gonna work for everyone. It's not because I'm not interested and nor am I competent enough to work in a pain situation. But by saying that, it should also I'm hoping others hear that it implies also you can't come into my lane and say what is the best activation strategy if you're using therapeutic guidelines as the base support for your understanding of increase in vitality over time. I mean, I, I, I love what you're saying there, but when we're looking at the, when you say it's therapy based, the, yeah. there is, think of it that as means that all, that means that every one of your thoughts is based upon what you have learned in the therapeutic rehabilitative model. But when we're talking about movement, you can apply it to the therapy model, but the principles that, that, that I've learned from collage, they apply to Rich Froning. They apply to the human that walks in the door that wants to be able to wipe their own ass in their 90. There's, it, it, is, it definitely the, the can be applied the concept, there. The concept of, well, well, I guess we could stretch out, well, what do you mean by application, right? So my argument would be that Rich Froning would, would be just as good and possibly even better if DNS never even came to light. So, and I could argue that for 16 million other examples. So that would be the argument against it applies to that. Well, what do you mean by application? It doesn't offer strength for the DNS conversation. No, what I Actually, mean- Actually, it just says that because it came up, it applies. Well, what do you mean by application? Well, but so this is this is what this is what we would we would be doing in DNS, and that is we have a model 
for a goal, if you will, a movement goal, a, the quality of movement goal. You guys, you guys are assessing mostly quantity in the in the move section, right? You're you're, you're saying, oh, the, the knee came in. You can measure that. Like, you know, how far can they? I think you guys are using you yes. know the scratch test. You're yes. measuring quantity, mm-hmm. quality. We do have objective quality or quality quote. measures. Yep. Yeah. So DNS is going to say, well, here's the, here's the goal for the quality of movement that we're looking for. And it, this is based on healthy children that have not had to sit for eight hours a day. They haven't had injury. They haven't had vanity come in. You know, all, all of this stuff affecting their actual movements. And that's the basis for that. And we can, I don't want to get sidetracked on, oh, well, let's, let's dig into that. But like, that's the, they're saying like, this is what, how, this is how we should move. Yeah. But that right there, if you're saying you don't want to get sidetracked on, and I certainly don't want to, uh, you know, the same along with you. However. <laughs> but it does offer, that's the whole base of your argument. That's so the then what's your, what's your standard for movement then? If, if, if. I take the idea that I take the idea that culture and whatever people have to do today offers whatever those tasks are needed that people are going to adapt to over time, um, and I think that we have made it again. It's it's these guardrails against we don't have to move, but we certainly do it. And then when we're you know uh, in pain, then we just say, oh geez, well we should look at the pain specializing, and then come up with a number of different ways to look at how we got to this point of pain. And we're afraid to just say, we don't really need to move today. I don't so think are, we, are we really? No, but, that, that, but then I just take back the conversation to you like, well, what is movement? Well, culture dictates largely. Culture is upstream from movement relative to what people need to, do, need to do today. And the way that you should think about that in my statement is to say, what did people need to do for movement, you know, in 425 uh, AD, okay? So, or, or 1600, right? In the scientific revolution, I just always find that be an interesting time to kind of consider movement. But what do people need to move during each day? And whatever things you come up with, you'll recognize that hunting and gathering, foraging, farming, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, agriculture would have been important at that time. Um, you could see that there was no such thing as fitness. There was no such thing as exercise. To go back in time, like Michael J. Fox flying back there and being like, what do you guys do for exercise? They'd be like, what is exercise? So that should at least draw you into understanding that in the timestamp here, we've only had maybe 20, 30 years to really think about this whole idea as to how do we strategize to get people motivated to move. And I just think that a lot of people are falling back into the really complex narratives of like this is the way you're supposed to move supposed to move for what well, to I sit actually, in a fucking chair for 12 years you know to sit in a chair for eight hours a day like this you're forgetting that 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 doesn't that doesn't that doesn't add to the conversation of oh we need the we need the therapeutic underpinnings as a base support for what we think people should move like that's going to get them. My whole point is just fucking walk. Right. No. Just walk. Like, just keep going to the playground. Um, kick a ball around. Run around with your dad, you know, every now and then. Pick up a rock every now and then. And that, that is how people should move, right? It's relative to this constructed idea. And um, I think that's why I, I disagree with having, like, a should inside of whatever it looks like to move. And I, my, my point is it comes from a very admirable uh, concept as to how to take people out of pain. And I appreciate that. Well, but I think that you make a great point that it it definitely adds unnecessary 
complexity to the process of getting someone to be more vital. If it gets to the client's mouth or head, well, it gets it, it gets in their head, but it, it stays it, in ours. It's okay. But. Yeah, but it also I don't necessarily think that reverse starting from the oh they're in pain going back, and and let me know if this is correct. You're saying okay if someone has back pain and then they're trying to get back into moving. Okay, fine. Then do the rehab shit. But if I've got somebody that doesn't have any injuries here, then just stay the fuck out of my way and just let me program. I totally agree with you there. Yeah. Okay. The, the argument that I would try, and I think this is, this is very congruous with the OPEX vitality model, is that efficiency of movement, you know, utilizing as many muscles to stabilize a joint and move a joint as possible to reduce the individual load on any one of those muscles, to preserve the soft tissues, to preserve the, the that's cartilage. Not, that's not our presupposition. No, but I'm just let me finish my point. If you can improve the efficiency of somebody's movement, you will absolutely improve the longevity and the actual quality of their movements throughout yeah. their whole life. Yes. So that's that's why um, having the model where we're, we're trying to just briefly and, and give me another 60 seconds because I want to throw this in here because I, I, I see a lot of your points is let's go back to the bracing strategy, which bracing for me is just a conscious stabilizing effort. And I agree with you that if I'm going to go pick up my pencil, I shouldn't go and, and brace. Yeah. But I do think the trainer needs to be explicitly clear. Like if I'm going to say brace, this is just what we mean. I don't mean suck my belly in. I don't mean crank yeah, my back on. I don't think so. You don't? No. Maybe that, maybe that is just our point of contention yeah, there is. because it I is. think... It's not a contention. It's just it's, we have different lenses. We have different lenses. No, it's fine. Like, yeah. And, and so I think that there are differences in stabilizing strategies. So I think when a new person comes into the gym, when I say, I want, I want you to do this lunge pattern across the floor and you need to stay at this tempo and I want you to stop when you feel like you can't control the lowering to kiss your knee to the ground and you can't feel like it's the same speed and intention when you come back up. Go ahead, right? I'm not telling them anything around spinal stabilization strategies. And then that because my should. presupposition is that in order for them to perform the task, they will figure out a way based upon what I'm asking of it, right? So if I if I program that incorrectly, and here's where the arguments abound, right? Oh, you didn't fucking do a hurdle step and fucking I fucking I fucking don't care. I don't care. You know why? Because I'm not ever going to put them in a position where their tendons and joints and et cetera are loaded. Why? Because their intentions are consistency in movement. I don't care about fucking single leg on the sidelines turning back. You know, and the reason why I make that point, that's the base support of all the single leg education inside of training. And my whole point is that this lady, this lady, human, just wants to learn how to do a single leg activity repetitively. You know, why? Because she just wants to get good at it. Why? So she can eventually add tension to it. Why? So she can eventually get to some really tough contractions. Why? Because they're physical challenges. Not because of hypertrophy, not because of strength, not because of the 1RM. Why? Because my deepest intentions are that I want her being able to move forever. Now we could argue our point like, why, not, why the lunge? Why not bending? Why not squatting? That's cool conversation too. I just call them variation in patterns and physical challenges. But not once did I talk to her about activation strategies, and I think this is where we differ in the conversation for how we would go about uh, executing I, it. Yeah, so maybe... Because your point may be that if we don't hit on it right away, it may lead to complexities in physiology and compensatory strategies and like 
loading on different joints that are inappropriate, et cetera. And I would say, no, not in my world, because you're giving them correct program design in which you create constraints around movement, selection, loading, biases, variation, perturbations, and all that shit without asking her to activate leads to a good lunge. Yeah, I get. I, I think I, I I completely agree with you in, in in that case, particularly with the lunge case. So if you are programming appropriately and you're looking at this as a ten thousand workout model here, yeah, and you're looking at you know in, at 90, 70, 80, 90, what are you going to do? You're going to be you know uh, appropriately loading that athlete over time, and you will human human. So I keep saying athlete, but um, you'll load that human unless you time. want to talk about athlete. No, it's different later. Okay, um, but. I do think that you're going to avoid, you know, a lot of the, you're not going to, you know, push that athlete, sorry, gosh, push that human so far that they're going to get injured. So I do think that you're going to avoid a lot of these issues. Mm -hmm. To me, where the stabilizing strategy would sort of show up and rear its ugly head is when that person's doing something and then they suddenly get injured. Whereas, you know, I and think- And you think it's because they didn't learn how to stabilize. I think in my in my clinical experience, so ten years of, of yeah, doing this, I, I do think as a I, generalized, I disagree with that. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, mean it's, I, no, you I just see the things differently. That's it. Right, but and you, you may ever, be right. I may be right. I could give you a whole bunch of other examples, though, that people are never inside of a therapeutic realm as their starting point for exercise. I.e., they go to a gym, a personal trainer in the gym. They're doing the machines. They're at the YMCA. They never get hurt. No, I, I mean, and and from 1975 to 1990, and in the era when I was starting resistance training, when we started delivering exercise from 1990 to 2000, I would say it's probably the smallest percentage. It's below one percent that people ever got hurt inside of an exercise program. What do you like? What do you, in the 90s, only one percent of people getting hurt, and now that's yeah. not the case. Oh or? fuck no! Now I mean, exercise is causing a whole bunch of people to get hurt in exercise programs. And so if that is the case, then, you know, you can see why you may see, you know, in the in the periphery or people that are participating in exercise, you know, whether they're humans or athletes with incorrect intentions, that's beside the point. You can see how a lot of them are getting hurt. And my point is still comes back to it's because it's bad program design and incorrect intentions. Yeah. Right. Like the fact that we're even discussing, you know, what kind of activation strategy should be there if someone wants to do kipping pull-ups. My whole point is let's go back and say, well, why are you doing kipping pull-ups? You know, but, but, and that's not where we disagree. No, I mean, no, so we, 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 overlap, we overlap though. a lot, a lot of this. Cause then I also, I, I want to give you uh, credit here. I do think that it, it adds complexity that's unnecessary sometimes. So you're going to avoid a lot of the injuries by programming properly over time with good intentions, with good intentions, but you might have, the human that doesn't stabilize correctly. And I can, we can talk about winging scapula. We can talk about retroverted hips We can get into the medical side of it. Well, that human that walks in the door is going to have different in internal capabilities. Their functional competence is mm -hmm. going to be different. And then that may actually interfere a little bit and you may, you know, you may actually injure that person or if that's not sort of corrected over time, it's going to limit their vitality and, and the length of their, their that they can sustain this sort of movement model and going. That's that's my whole point. But yeah, and I think I, that it comes down to then another argument on your importance of asymmetry and what you define by efficiency and what you define by function, because then that's going to lead us into saying, well, how important is it that you have the special tools? to be able to see the minor asymmetries 
that will possibly lead to, only in your perception, it will lead to compensatory patterns or future injury over time. My whole point being that that needs to be discussed in much more detail, probably at another time. How important is it of those little tiny adjustment differences, right? And I think in the vitality world, there's many different things and modalities that we could offer clients with asymmetries like that over time, what you're calling functional competencies that you come up with. It's not, it's not well accepted. It's what you come up with as functional competencies that I could say we can put them into a whole bunch of different modalities that can get them back to being uh, homeostatic and balanced over time. And, and, I, and I think you're right. So, I mean, I, I don't think that we're disagreeing on a, on a lot here because if, if they are programmed properly over time, then, then I think a lot of people are going to avoid this. You yes. know, the, the model with, you know, I mean, heck, you were a pioneer in this. The, the model with, with, with CrossFit is sort of like, okay, we're going to take 200,000 eggs, we're going to throw them against a wall, mm. and the ones that don't crack are in, a, are in amazing shape. Yeah. Now, we can go, you know, on, a, on an entire rabbit hole about, like, well, how can someone sustain yeah. such a, in, like, just ridiculous and incredible and amazing movement stuff without getting injured? To me, you know, one of the, the big factors is what I call tissue tolerance. Mm -hmm. So my coach, you know, Judd Logan is a four-time Olympian, super, super strong, Pelican guy. And, you know, he, he doesn't, no one would ever accuse him of having amazing, you know, back squat form, you know, but he's never had back pain, mm -hmm. right? Whereas me, if I get one degree out of position, I get back pain for like a week. So, you know, his annular fibers of his disc are made of Kevlar, mine are made of cotton candy. Like it's mm -hmm. just like the tissue tolerances are so different. So, you know, I do think that the, the OPEX model with the individualizing the program, programming appropriately so that that athlete can express properly, you're going to just avoid a lot of this stuff. I just wanted to tease this out because I have a lot of respect for what you say. When you said that before, I'm always going to go with the assumption, like, well, maybe I'm just not understanding what exactly you're saying. And now I'm understanding more what you mean by good programming. It's not just like, well, instead of a deadlift, we're going to do a deadlift at 95 instead of 135. You're thinking like, whoa, 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 way, way back, way bigger picture. And I do think that you will avoid a lot of the issues that where you'd have to inject the stability piece in there if you program like that. So now I'm understanding more of what you meant by program properly. Mm -hmm. Whereas initially I was just thinking like change the exercise, change mm -hmm. the load. No. And I was thinking much, much too microscopically, I think. Would mm -hmm. you agree? Uh, maybe. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not sure though. It's, it, yeah, that's not for me to determine. No, that was, that was cool. That was, that was good to kind of tease that out. Um, I, I wanted to start with this because I think it's something that you do, and we've been, of course, talking about the whole time. You make a, a very binary difference between training for sport athletes yeah. and training for vitality or for life, you know, training humans. Mm -hmm. So let's... I just kind of want to... Let, let's just talk about that and say, okay, yeah. you know, what really is the difference? Yeah, intentions. Yeah, um... What makes it a challenging conversation is deciding upon, you know, how we define athlete, you know, because when you're in the athletic realm, are we talking about a, uh, um, you know, a world champion by athlete? Or are we talking about a, um, an outside linebacker that plays at the Baltimore Ravens? Um, but unfortunately, in conversation, they all get classified together. Um, and then, of course, the other issue over there, it seeps into culture where, you know, someone who's participating in the open now is an athlete, you know. Uh, in, in our world, CrossFit and mixed modal. Um, so that needs to be drawn up. But that's why I just bucket it into intentions. So the two major, major differences there are that uh, when people are inside of the life or vitality program, um, their overarching goal is uh, 
to be able to do things that lead to really high cognition for as long as possible, okay? So really, really great cognition as long as possible. Uh, secondly, whatever they're doing um, should lead to continual um, uh, great function physically that allows them to stay physically pertinent to whatever they need as biological constraints come on and, you know, the pecker doesn't come up in the morning at 65, et cetera. There's a bunch of things we're going to have to deal with with a long game plan. Um, and then third, uh, this person is participating with intentions um, along besides just cognition and, and uh, physical function or cognition and locomotion is this concept of perception and resilience at its highest order. So that would be, in layman's terms, satisfaction and contentment with a really, really well-lived life. And that should be the, the base, my opinion, that's the base pillars of intention for the vitality program, okay? So now think about that, what I just said there, and how woo-woo that sounds, right? Now, in Hard the, to disagree with. Yeah, but I mean, there's good disagreement. Uh, but now in athlete, it's none of that. Exactly. None of that. Not one piece of it. Now, this point here, which is why you feel the energy in my voice, there's nothing connected <laughs> to, to that. coming off. I don't yeah. know if you guys can see this. <laughs> there's nothing connected to that. And I think it's actually a slap in the face of athletes to actually mention this. So when Nike says everyone's an athlete, right, I think there's a lot of athletes not saying this. They're not saying, you know, fuck you, Nike. Not everyone's an athlete because they know what it takes. They know what it takes. And that's my strongest argument for the difference in intentions because this athlete over here cannot be limited or constrained by anyone telling them how they should physically express themselves. This athlete is doing it for some shit that you may have like felt sometime before where it goes beyond your physical capabilities, right? You, and that's why athletes, even if they're intelligent enough over time to speak about it, they talk about flow states, it being spiritual, it being an out-of-body experience. All of these things, right, all of these things shouldn't be motivating factors over here in the vitality program. Instead, you should recognize that these are sacrificial, physically yeah. sacrificial humans, right, looking to do unbelievable physical expression with the resources they have to work with which is why we don't have a whole bunch of conversation why isn't the entire you know fitness world interested in what 60 to 70 year olds are doing for athletic performance why they have nothing the resources are done right they're they're hanging they're resisting entropy they're hanging on for fucking dear life okay so when you're 25 to 35 though that's all the stories nba World soccer, CrossFit, elite athletes, what? All, 25 to 35, right? Why? Because they have the capability of expressing themselves unbelievably physically. The intentions are to go to the hot, like the intentions here are, as an athlete, is to go beyond what you think you're physically capable of as many times as possible so that you can get the most out of the resources you have prior to you being 35, okay? Now, that is, that, and that just lays the, that lays our groundwork now for more conversation, but if the intentions are anything different than that, I need you to argue with me, or I need someone to like, you know, pull me up on stage and set me straight on that, um, because I see a very clear delineation and demarcation. It's not like this. 
vitality, athleticism, it's like that. Yeah, or if not, if not like this. It's the opposite, right? And I drew it on Instagram before I shouldn't have because it looked like a penis when I finished the drawing of it. So people couldn't even see it. when that fucking, I know, just, it's, it's the super bad you know, yeah. that just comes up. But on the, on the athletic side of it, it's right, it's right next to sickness. Now, we could go days and days on, you know, me being very, uh, I'm, I'm super appreciative that I've been inside of the mixed mold world for 20 years because we've also been physiologically testing what happens when people sacrifice their body for 20 years. And so if I was to unfold what's there, you know, and you were not to see these people and what they look like, you would say these people are sick. And my doctors would say those people are sick. So I started giving them all that data many, many years ago. They're like, what are you doing with these people? Because they're presenting as being ripped and shredded and gaining in sarcoplasmic hypertrophy, but they have secretory IgA issues, depression, depressed cortisol, cortisol issues, yeah. starting to get some mind issues like fogginess, brain. You know, if you think that's not connected to long-term metabolic disruption that leads to like gut problems, et cetera. Sleep's fucked up. Dude, it's, yep. you know, so, and how do we fix that? Melatonin, adrenal supplements, better pre-workout, et cetera. But you see, instead of just hammering on all that shit, why don't you just say, just fucking leave them alone? Like they're athletes. Right. Do whatever you need to do to sacrifice your system, right? So that conversation shouldn't even be built inside the vitality model. And so they, there's some stark differences and we can go wherever we want based upon. Well, I mean, I, I think with that and, you and I have had a similar, a similar path here. So I, I went in, tried to make two Olympic teams. You know, it turns out I have a Honda Accord for an engine and not a Ferrari. So trying to race Ferraris for 15 years, uh, did some, did some damage. Um, I, I would do it again if you put me back in that same scenario. So even though I, 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 what I love about the message that you put out is that you're like, you know, slapping people in the face and saying like, Hey dude, don't get distracted. Know what your intentions are. This is what really matters. Yeah. And I, I love that. At the same time, I can rationally and even emotionally think, man, that is a great message to have. But there is something in me that I would never make the claim that if you could put me all the way back to 1996, when I, well, 1993, when I started training full time, like, you know, skipping summer hangouts and all that kind of stuff, like, focus training to throw this thing as far as possible i would do it again yeah that's what's fucked that's up that's not the strongest argument for everyone doing it though no to think that we couldn't go back and rewrite you and teach you guitar and you were like oh i didn't even get into that but now i just have an elbow issue as opposed to depressed cortisol right no i mean i i, I agree with you so i kind of want to know you have this um you know, uh, awe-inspiring conviction for the vitality model. And I did not know you in 2003, you know, your OPT days, you know, you won the first CrossFit games, you're a pioneer in the programming, you know, about the, the Metcon and mixed modal. And, and you've, you've been a huge influence in that space, but I would bet a, a small airplane that you had a similar conviction for what you were doing at that time. So walk me through that process mm -hmm. to go from, I mean, you can't become a CrossFit Games champion without being really fucking focused and really fucking disciplined and 
intent, well, maybe not knowingly, but you, there are sacrifices that are being made to do that, mm-hmm. right? Like I had lots of sacrifices that I could talk about, you know, every time that I went to do something for Christmas or Thanksgiving, I had to train. Yeah. Everybody knew yeah. it. I had to train. All right. I, I can be at, at Christmas from, you know, 10 to one. And then I got to go fucking train. Mm-hmm. So walk me through that process where you went from having the, the, the capability and the focus and the mindset to actually become the CrossFit Games champion, fittest dude in the world in 2007, mm. to now having this different perspective and having the same intensity of belief, but now for the vitality model. Yeah. Just walk me through that. Yeah, well, I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, there wasn't a lot of talented people around. So I just basically, you know, ended up winning the first games. If you go back and look at the historical reference, I actually was very average. And the more talent that came up, that you know came into being based upon the growth of the sport um it was very obvious that i was a very average you know individual um so that that you know that uh the reason why i mention that is that let's say if i if i came into it and there was the current crop let's say you know the sport has been around for 10 years and then i came into it uh, you wouldn't know me you know from a hole in the wall um so I would not, uh, I would not be able to offer like a huge, you know, argument against the, you know, intentions, regrets, and et cetera, athletic performance, whatever, because um, I won and I ha- I made some decisions like you said, can't do this, and you got to make decisions for what you want to do. Um, but I was still running a really successful business. Uh, people forget that I had, you know, ten years of work in the trenches. Um, prior to me even like doing my first CrossFit workout. So prior to me winning the games, um, I had like uh, 13 years of uh, five to six really challenging physical strenuous exercise sessions per week. And I also had accumulated, you know, 20, 30,000 hours of uh, coaching. Um, So you got to remember that I had vast experience prior to even the athletic persona. But the reason why I mentioned this is that you can see I come in with it with a different level of maturity than someone you know sure. who's eighteen is like, hey, here's this sport, go for it. Yeah, you know. Um, so I don't know if that that changes up the uh, the tone of the the thing over time. But one thing that what led me to here today, which which is inside your question, um, was I'm I'm thankful for myself having enough maturity within that period of time, so I can reflect upon it over time and really speak clearly of both lanes of vitality versus athleticism. And so I think I, what I spent enough time in there as an athlete, but I, but I spent a lot more time observing and coaching athletes that give me strength of conviction for what is inside the athletic realm. And now over the past, let's call it 10 years, um, I age and I start bumping into things like reproduction and, um, and, uh, you know, offspring and purpose and bigger picture things. And I start connecting to what is my practice and what I do and how I can really contribute if I really feel that it's something that I want to do. And I think my biggest legacy of contribution will go down with uh, me waking people up to the fact that in this vitality realm, I'm living that as a role model every day. So I'm at the point where I can tell you what I think, not just through my thoughts, but through my practices, what will allow me to exercise till I'm 90, you know, and to be consistent with that. Without injury, that really pulls me away for two years as an example, or just ends me. Um, 
I think that I have, you know, built up uh, enough repetitions to be able to say that, yeah, this is a worthwhile uh, opportunity. So uh, I don't know if you got anything from that, but I can I got sp- a little bit, I, but like I can speak to both angles of it, and uh, it it basically uh, has shifted just simply due to just me getting older. Yeah, so you, you basically get to see where that path goes. Yeah, I'm living it out. Yep, you're living it out because I because I also had the same thing. I was wholeheartedly focused on you know whatever task I was trying to do at the time, which would throw a, a steel ball as far as I can. Um, and now, you know, being 43 years old, I've sort of gone through and my tissue tolerance, so to speak, yeah. is a little bit different. My recovery is a little bit different. And then also, I think the bigger picture stuff that you were talking about, the shit that you worry about or you think about is very, very different, you know, when you're in your 40s and when you're 25. Yeah. Right. It's very different. So yeah. to me, I now will watch people. And in some ways, it literally makes me sad. I'm watching someone that's like doing this sport in air quotes. For those of you mixed just modal? listening, no, just any oh. any sport. They could be doing anything. I do think that the mixed modal, the culture of mixed modal. Well, I don't want to say mixed yeah. We got to get the context of sport. yeah. The, we'll the, come back to that. Yep, but they're doing they're doing an activity that isn't going to serve them long term, and I don't know if their intentions for what they're doing there are great, mm-hmm. and it's just going to fuck them up. And yeah. then I, from a medical side, yeah. I get to treat like a 22-year-old with yeah. two disc herniations because yeah. she was trying to do deadlift, or yeah. a girl that blows her ACL out or her or Achilles tendon because she's doing yes. 21, 15, 9 box jumps and front squats. Yeah. So that kind of thing, I see the longevity of it. What I what I think is, 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 is sort of awe-inspiring with you is you went with the big picture, like no life thing. When I look at that, that path, like that, that 30,000 foot view you talk about, I think, well, how can I change what I did when I was 25, 30, 35 in my training to improve the longevity of, or, or not have as many, you know, um, yeah. like just uh, casualties yeah. or, or bypro- negative byproducts, yeah. like a back injury or someone blows their kill or whatever that is. Yeah. Do you do you even care or do yeah. you, is it all about intentions and vitality and no. fuck changing the, the strategy? Oh, no, training? for sure. I, I hope you're not asking that just to see if we could like, if somehow we can inject this okay, you know, it's okay to do this for 20 no, 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 years. No, 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 no. Okay, because I think inside of that, there needs to be context of the expression of the sport. And it does, I think, come down to a biological base support. Um, meaning, you know, just want to think of it this way is like, well, what's the harm? And this is a good philosophical thing that people could just like sit down on a couch and think about what's the, what's the ramifications of pushing someone with good intentions and good efficiency into a sport of swimming hundred meters for, for 10 years or mixed martial arts for 10 years and fighting four times a year. So immediately you're struck with this, like, well, interesting, like what's the long-term consequences of brain injury from 30 to 85 years of age versus the elation and emotion, you know, of yeah. all the happiness around the fight and the struggle and the, you know, et cetera. And herein lies this nuanced of around, well, what is athleticism and what is the sport context, yeah. right? So that's why I use the beautiful sport of biathlon. Now you're offering a natural environment, right? It's, it's in a natural environment. There's work and rest scenarios. It's colder climate. Like we could go deep into 
the uh, the humans. where you're from though I'm sure by I, I know I thing, know like, I'm glad you brought it up as of the, course he goes into a, you I know, have, for I those have, who don't know listen, I have 89 percent uh, Northern European heritage okay that's where that's directly where this DNA is coming from did so you also shoot you also shoot because biathlon yes, is, yes. is cross country skiing and shooting it was caribou though not uh, targets <laughs> but let's well let's take it across the across the globe right so maybe it's running maybe you know um, like the Daniel Lieberman's work on uh, on uh, running as a primal activity. Um, and how, you know, just society over time has gotten away from moving. Therefore, it looks like we can't run when it's actually we're capable of doing it for longer periods of time based on us uh, harvesting or, you know, hunting animals, etc. I'm sorry again, lengthy that, but maybe maybe we're set up to be able to do that and um, and we're just not putting it into place. So, again, the argument would be, so, well, how about that uh, middle distance runner? You know, like what what is what is so unhealthy about that for 20 to 30 years and I remember I said efficient movement and proper expression. I'm not talking about someone who shouldn't be there sure. and is Paula Radcliffing it for like 12 years. Um, and I don't even think she ended up in injury anyways, but she had a weird kind of wonky, wonky leg and shoulder. But Her tissue tolerance still, is pretty good. Right, dude. So, I mean, it's so then it comes into this like, well, what do you mean by athletic participation? And should we like, you know, take that eight year old young boy, right, as a parent, as a responsible parent and say, you're in North Scottsdale here, and they're now offering full contact at eight years of age, and they're making it a weight restriction category based upon you playing it. And you, the physiologist now, is thinking about that going, yeah, but 80 pounds coming quickly at 80 pounds doesn't make any difference in terms of the forced contact, right? So so this is, this is where the thinking is, and you're like, oh, it's no big deal because he'll just grow and he'll be hitting people the same size. So you're okay with the hitting up until 20, and then you're okay even if he gets into a semi-professional thing for 28. So from 8 to 28, you see where I'm going, right? Oh, yeah. And, this is, and, and what that gets cloaked in is all the, all the language around, listen, man, they're just moving. And, they're exer- and who are you to say that they shouldn't be free to choose whatever they wish to do? So there has to be, you see, there has to be context of what is physical expression and how is that utility or How what's the assumed feel? risk with, the, exactly. with that activity and this is where i i pull the trigger on mixed modal because mixed modal i believe is a willful combination of the worst metabolic it's like wrestling mixed martial arts and weight and and like high rep olympic weightlifting all mashed together in a weekend that's what it is so if you're like why would anyone physically want to do that? Yeah, fucking good question, right? Good question. If you're attaching healthy things to that, man, we're going to have, which I predict in 10, 15, 20 years, vast amount of research showing metabolic issues with individuals who look, you know, what I've discovered in 2005, 6, 7, they look ripped, they, you know, are putting on muscle, and they're the healthiest person on the planet. And uh, down the road, we're going to see these major metabolic Well, I can, I, I can tell you from a, a musculoskeletal standpoint. Yeah, but that's the C, that's the CNS, right? The CNS yeah, the whole, and the muscles. Yes. So think but about, I'm just saying, like, just orthopedically. About, but think about metabolic consequences. You know, consequences on top of that. Yeah. That's, you're, you're, like, there's never been a sport. I would say fighting is close to it, right? Where there's mechanical and metabolic yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah. you know, so let's just put it in this lane, you know, you know, running a mile, competing at that, you know, we could argue, depending upon self-selection for aerobic monsters, that's metabolically quite challenging. Okay. And we could argue marathon and 2K road, et cetera, et cetera. Sure, sure, sure. But, or, but it's not like getting punched in the face for 20 minutes. <laughs> Would you agree? No, I, that? I think that's uh, yeah, we can there, agree on that. So, let, so let's say, let's say, so we're not calling it punch in the face. 
but you're calling 65 strict handstand push-ups. Don't even get me started. But that's what I'm saying. But this is well accepted, right? It's a willful punch in the head plus the 2K row on top of it. Yes. So what's going to happen when we have five times a week for 10 years of that? At max intensity because there's not oh, it's a not, lot. It's not skill work. It's not OPEC style. Yeah. It's not mixed mold, right? It's like let's just go after it. And all the arguments abound in there, right? But they're lean and they eat 6,000 calories a day. And they – it's like what, what's the intentions? So my point, this is where I draw it, is like I will very quickly have the intentional conversation. When someone's 18 they're like, I want to do this sport, I am front and center like you do understand this is the path we're going to go down, right? It's got nothing to do with your health. I don't give a shit about you reproducing. If we don't get to the point where you're not having an erection, you're not having sleep disruption, you're not having food aversion issues, we're probably not going hard enough. That's, that's reality in sport. And maybe not a lot of coaches want to talk about that. But that's where you push athletes. You well, push but that's them to what's the great about your approach is you're actually forcing them to answer truth. that question. Right. It's truth, right? Yeah. And anytime you say, well, where does broccoli come in? Is it going to make you win? Right. No, then it doesn't come in. Yeah, that's that, the, the, I get pushed back a ton. That's the lanes. If, yeah. So if we, if we just stick in the, the function orthopedic realm for me, and if somebody can't fucking put their arm, get their humerus vertical – behind their ear standing without tons of compensation, you should not be fucking doing overhead movements. Yeah. You just shouldn't be doing this. And yeah. I think you actually said that on the podcast. Like if someone does a functional evaluation, right, a move test, and you fail, you know, the 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 scratch one and scratch, I don't know what you guys are calling them, but different different overhead um, mobility stuff. And they and go, go on over okay, there. Okay, let's go over here and we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> on our toes to bar kipping. Right, that's the kind of thing. I you would need to keep your arms at your side. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and run as far away as possible. Yeah, I would just tell them, like, you know, you just shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. Like you don't even have yeah. the the functional prerequisites to express properly with one of those. Yeah. Do what you can. Yeah. Right. So that's what you can, what you're capable of. So you can't get here. But can you do that? Yeah, you can do that. Dude, I got 6,000 versions yeah, of that. Yeah, all day, all day long, Dude. horizontal pressing. And fun. Yeah. And fun. The I, I don't know how I, this is going to be challenging for me to, to phrase. I I agree with with the vitality model, and I think it's it's, it's definitely a voice that needs to be out there because, like you just said, it's just truth. Like this yeah. is this is what this is. Hard to sell. Yep, hard to sell. And you've you've been there. We're going to finish right on time, bro. Uh, you've been there. You've seen this sort of this long term thing, this this thirty year view of fitness. You've done elite sports. You've now you know transitioned into continuing on for the rest of your life. But think of all the the the, the long term benefits, both emotionally, psychologically, physically, in terms of just you know uh, setting goals as a business owner and and someone that started a company, OPEX. Um, think of all the things that you benefited from those short-term bouts of focusing on fitness that, mm -hmm. that are not congruous with the vitality model. And I know that this comes down to it's shades of gray. Yeah. It's definitely shades of gray. Yeah. Like if the assumed risk is I'm going to have post-concussion syndrome and I'm going to have cognitive issues when I'm 40 mm -hmm. or I'm going into like powerlifting, and I'm going to have bilateral hip replacement by the time I'm 50. Yeah. Those are a little bit easier. But – 
what are your thoughts on sort of teasing those out? Because like, I don't think that we would James Fitzgerald of today would not be here. Had he not learned the lessons that were taught to him oh, yeah. trying to train for elite soccer and then moving yeah. into elite mixed modal stuff. What, what yeah. are your thoughts there? Well, I'd be very careful not to virtue signal the fact that I looked like a stellar of health either. So I, I, I would say that if I did not participate in any of that stupid fitness stuff, um, and like you, I've learned so much from it cognitively and emotionally that I would guess there'd be an argument on, you know, what I would have regrets on. But um, I, I certainly am not the path to vitality. So, uh, you know, there's a, in another world, in another uh, universe, um, you know, there's a James Fitzgerald who didn't participate in that, who probably has a better quote unquote health standard for the next 40 years of my existence. So um, that would be the argument against like going back in time and uh, even philosophically thinking, well, you know, wouldn't you just go through it again? And why aren't you pleading to tell everyone else about going through those experiences to get you woke enough on the other side to help out? And I would say just a second now, um, you're just seeing what looks like all these virtuous things that happened um, in experiences that lead to me showing that I'm apparently capable of going through it and then surviving. I wouldn't look at me right now and say that. I would say that I have... Um, you know, stark truths, I would probably have, you know, I, I would be the classic person who um, at 60 has a myocardial infarction and someone goes, now how in the fuck did that happen? Because he went through all those times and he looked like he was on his path and he was just here one day biking and he took a gripper, right? And, you know, you study my body and you look past through things and I would say that if someone was brave enough to do it, they'll discover some electrical issues inside of me that I went too far and exposed its highest demands too often from the time that I was 30 to 35. So I'm, I hope I'm not foreboding joy in terms of like what's going to happen to me, but I don't think I'm the stellar picture of health. I'm, I'm just hanging on, I would argue, more probably better than a lot of other people that went through that pathway, right? So I wouldn't, yeah. So, you know, my, James Fitzgerald from now on is going to look like that, right? Like, you know, I'm just, I'm just hanging on. I'm resisting entropy now for the rest of my life. And I'm trying to come up with, this is a whole other thing, but trying to come up with things that inspire me that I know that I can't like work towards physical potential improvements, right? Like family, um, you know, uh, emotional and spiritual, you know, integration of like, well, why am I doing this entire thing? And trying to cognitively still try to improve things, you know, for the rest of my life. And, but, but there's in another universe, there's a James Fitzgerald that, you know, just barely drops down. And right. so I would rather that I would rather that I'd, I'd, I'd love to be around till I'm in my late eighties and mechanically in very good shape. I mean, I, I'm, I'm basically on, you know, a knee that's just hanging on right now based upon my injury from soccer and mechanical. You had a tibia fracture? I had a tibia fracture, compartment syndrome, and a bunch of surgeries, you know, with rods, in my leg, et cetera. Um, which led to compensatory issues. You can just imagine down the road of having to do the same sagittal patterns over and over. Right. I built a great capacity and I had good tissue tolerance and and a good underpinning of a great metabolic base support. So uh, you add complexity and load to that and I become very below average. But of course I try to do it. So, you know, I'm 47 um, and, you know, I'm just, I'm just hanging on mechanically. So let's think about that, right? And say, well, what about another 15 years? Another 15 years, I, I'm going to be completely honest, I'm just hoping for uh, medical interventions to be fairly simple 
so that you can have joint replacements and uh, and stuff that allows you to still stay functional. Well, that that, that comes so, down to um, so that's back to my point of like you know express well based on upon workers. what I expressed and like turn back time, you know, et cetera. Um, I wouldn't use what you see here as a as a you know a stellar stellar health. Example. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, I, I think that it would we would have to just. But vitality is mediocre. It's not sexy, right? So that's that's the main reason the why problem. people don't want to do it. Yeah, it's uh, well, but they don't want to do it now. But I think if they go through the same process, like I, I'm at that, I'm at that point here now. Like my goal is not to get my back squat, you know, up over 300 kilos. My goal is to be able to go on walks with my wife, you know, travel and do all those things. But I almost, I don't know if I would have appreciated your guys' approach and your your um, your mission here had I not overexpressed or, or, or expressed poorly and, and pushed beyond my physical capabilities with, with the, with the hope of this very, 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 very narrow, um, uh, maximum physical potential to do this one thing really, really well. And there's consequences from that, that I now have to sort of deal with. I don't know if I would have just the same kind of like, man, that is a great message that you're putting out if I had not gone through that process. Yeah. Well, I think the well, I think that comes back to, and I don't want to label this to make it seem like one is superior than the other, so please don't take it that way. But um, that's why I say it, you got to put in context of what was the physical expression. Because I would argue throwing a ball, sprinting 100 meters, um, and I could give some other examples that are probably not doing a good job of, but they are starkly different than getting punched in the face numerous times or mixed modal training for 12 years. I agree. I totally agree. So. You know, and I, I don't want to say they're in. The, I, I'm not going to say it. They're not in the same lane. So to, the only examples I think we should use to say what can you take from that that you would go back and reverse engineer and talk about. Like I think all those things were impactful on me to live a good life, and I wouldn't take anything away. I think if you ask a whole ton of people on the other side of that real big mechanical damage, they would tell you they wouldn't participate in it. But a lot of them, which is unfortunate, are just too proud. They're too proud. Um, and it takes balls. It takes balls for me to be very vulnerable and say, you know what, I, I don't think I should have done that. And I'm not going to prey upon young people and force them into doing some of those things if I don't believe that they have the correct intentions. So I think there's, I think there's context in the physical expression thing that uh, we could latch on to. We could keep, I mean, and that's why, you know, we mentioned like triathlon, swimming, et cetera. You know, it does come into, you know, uh, if you can express it and if you can repeat it, and there is that there is that mechanical shit that's in there, right? So, you know, again, and if, if people are like I still don't get it, just think about fighting. Yeah. Punched in the face all the time, you know, and you're like, oh well, yeah, that'll make you rethink what your context is a sport. Yeah, the assumed consequences with that are 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 really challenging. I always use the analogy of like riding a motorcycle. Riding a motorcycle is not as safe as, as driving a Volvo SUV. Right. But there are assumed consequences. And you and I could go through 100 examples of all different sports and say, OK, what are the assumed consequences of this? Some of them are obvious. Getting punched in the face professionally for 20 years, obviously not good. American football. Yeah. American football. 10 years and had taken hits. Yeah. I mean, there, there's some obvious consequences. I was just glad that you were actually um, glad that you were you were kind of honest about it because I just want to know, like, well, what you definitely benefited from some of those things and what were they? Cause I benefited tremendously from, from doing sports and, you know, beyond just meeting my wife, I also learned how to goal set and I learned how to, 
um, just sort of push push through um, adversity or all that. There's lots of little things that I'm sure that you've learned that have made you a better husband or a better father or a better business owner yeah. from that. Well, there's lots of other ways outside of that to do that. Correct. Yeah, yeah. And that, I just, I'm, I'm glad we got to talk about that because if you just, if you keep it binary yeah. and you're just like, hey, dude, you're 18. Yeah. You know, we've done, you know, some some functional capacity testing. We've done some some movement stuff and you just don't have it. You don't have the tissue tolerance for it. Yeah. You don't have the movement quality for it. Um, let me just let me just stop you right here from yeah. fucking your body up. Just yeah. just get out of it. And let's just do this model. That's the that's a slap in the face. And and sometimes I, I think it takes it takes a patient, nurturing person to get them to go, oh, OK, yeah. I kind of get this. Yeah. Or unfortunately, it probably takes them getting fucked up. Oh, for sure. They get into the sport, they get into mixed modal and they're 28 years old and they have and they they tear their labrum because they're trying to do, yeah. you know, butterfly. And they think goals. it was just a part of the sport. Right. Which is well accepted. Now. Yeah. And so once they have that, like for me, I always tell like when I have athletes come in and, and the, the mixed modal athletes are, are the worst, really. I love working with them, but they'll come in and it's the third time that they get fucked up with the same injury that they're just like, okay, now let's actually fix the problem. Because mm-hmm. they'll come in and let's say it's a shoulder injury or back injury. The moment that they can warm up and perform their sport without pain, mm-hmm. they're gone. Yeah. And then the third time that they injure it, or if they cannot fucking stand or walk, mm-hmm. then they're like, okay, now we got to do this. Yeah. And now I'm like, hey, yeah. let's talk about what you're actually doing in your training. Yeah. So for me, it, it's getting in and like, let's have some actual lifestyle changes or program changes, program appropriately, so that you can like kind of do this without totally wrecking yourself. You would even go, whoa, 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 go way yeah. back and be like, why the fuck are you here? Yeah. Is like, am I going to, you know, strap you with band-aids and, and, and crutches and everything to keep you going? Or are we just going to like, you know, try to wake them up and step back and be like, why are you doing this? Yeah. Because if, if the why is, if you don't know what's going on, you don't know the assumed consequences, yeah. then let's figure out what those are. And then let's get you the fuck out of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's challenging because there's, as I mentioned previously, there's no, institutions that support deeper conversation to talk about the why and uh and i hope coaches hear this the right way but there's not a lot of competent coaches with enough experience to be able to say let's just think about it for a little bit you know and let's let's come up with some logical reason as to why we shouldn't embark on that pathway and here's my data and evidence and etc that shows that you know you need to have these things and so maybe it does line up over time um where those, you know, because I know, I, know, I know there's a lot of athletes that actually are doing this more so to today. I'm not sure if it's a movement towards that, but they're honoring uh, strict gymnastics and body weight activity and strict strength activity. Um, and they're recognizing that it's not that exciting to be in a competition every weekend. And so they're, they're taking this like more of a long game approach to getting all the tendons and joints and everything prepared so that when they get into that madness for a number of years, they'll have a better outcome. But again, that that's not happening a lot. Instead, it's like, well, if you don't give me this, I'm going down the street. And that doesn't always end up like saying sounding just like that, but it pretty much does. That's kind of what it is. Yeah. I mean, you have a lot of... And it just happens online instead. So they're just like, oh, let's see what they're doing. Ooh, yeah. You know? Yeah. And no, they- not once as a coach, you know, taking them. And going, oh, let's. Can you do thirty chest to bar? Yeah. Can you do thirty chest to bar after you take two minutes break after doing thirty chest to bar? And they're like, I think I can, but they can't. Right. And so, and they're like, well, but that's a dumb test that never shows up in the sport. And it's like it's got nothing to do with the test. It's got to do with your tissue capabilities. Yeah, that's and the your dumb, expression. That's the dumb thing because when you came in and we had CrossFit, you know, in the, in that sort of boom, that 2010 to 2014, 15 you would have really high quality strength coaches out there that have very few people in their doors. Oh yeah. Because they're going through and I, I next time we and chat. Was, 
and dissent was rampant. Yeah. After a couple of years for that. Yeah. So you next, know why? Because it was it was honoring the slow game. Right. And it's so, honoring the slow game. Yeah, yeah. And the intense push model couldn't have that. Right. So they had they 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 were basically angry at because they're coming in and, and next time you and I chat, I want to get more into things that we we need to be doing with athletes to prepare them for sport we're talking about we didn't get into you know going aerobic and all that other crap they're doing that though they're like hey we're going to come in we're going to do simple contractions we're going to do aerobic work we're going to you know take time to let your tissues adapt in a way so that we can progressively add complexity of movement strength contraction speed of contraction all that crap in there Mm. but like you said that's just not sexy until they're ready to hear the mission the the, the message we know so that looks like periodization it looks like progressive models of work it looks like individualization we can't have that right that's that like, speaks against what our doctrine is totally yeah, which 100%. is scaling just use percentages take everyone put them in a room 20 people doesn't matter we'll all do the same thing and i'll look like a program design master because i'll get you all into the right dose response all right yeah well i mean i'd love to keep chatting maybe we'll do this again you know sure. in the next next couple of years yeah, but this any, was, anytime you visit come through just this uh, was fantastic so i appreciate it um i i I genuinely appreciate what you do with OPEX. So it's a, it's an easy group to kind of push there. Um, you can jump in if you want, but you guys are now a hundred percent online. And so it's a, how many, how many month program? It's pretty extensive. Yeah. It's about six months to complete the CCP. We're not, uh, we're only hundred percent online just based upon COVID regulations. Uh, we still do some in-person stuff, but it doesn't look like that over the past 18 months because of, you know, what we can do, what we're allowed to do. Um, but yeah, you can do our entire uh, education uh, over six months. Yeah. Which is, um, I've been lucky enough to kind of glance through it. It's very comprehensive. So there, there is some nutrition stuff. There's a lot of digging into the the values and the client and the intentions. Um, there's of course an amazing amount of material about, you know, anaerobic aerobic and, um, just a lot of great stuff. So that's, that's an easy thing for me to push, you know, strength coaches and trainers too. So definitely they need to check that. What's the website? opexfit.com opexfit.com so thank you very much hopefully this is the first of many always a pleasure talking to you and well Well, it uh, won't be because i mean if you're only having three or four a year i mean it'll be like i'll be like 12 years yeah we'll be talking about like no my model works i've been doing it for 60 years it works so let's talk (laughs) about my joints in uh 60 yeah (laughs) yeah all right man thanks so much thank you